almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year in existence have won MLS Cup. Talk to our final Jason Jones from Mothership. Joe Patrick from Man of Man the Game. Jason Soccer is over there. Joe Patrick, you ever feel nothing, even though your team just came back from two goals down, despite being down a man? Because I felt I, I didn't. I just kind of felt nothing. I'm gonna be honest. I enjoyed watching everyone like celebrate, be happy. I appreciated everyone else's enthusiasm, but man, were they hot trash before that? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It's very, uh, very Spursy, I might say, because one of their like most memorable results in club history was a four-four draw they had against Arsenal, where they were like down four-one and then scored three goals in the last like five minutes or whatever. <laughs> Granted, that was against Arsenal, Great. and it was a little bit different, but like, yeah. yeah I mean, I don't know. I was, uh, I wouldn't say I was happy watching it, but um, yeah. it was. I mean, they were great goals at the end, but were they? Yes. Well, the, uh, what? the Almada one was incredible. The Lennon one, the, I felt like the – so there's been a lot of talk about this. The goalkeeper, I felt, was waiting for the ball to be headed, and he was not willing to commit to the sh- to stopping the shot until it cleared the wall um, because it, what, the ball came so low over the, over the wall's head, and then he was just too flat-footed to react to it. You didn't think they were that good? I thought he should have saved it. For, oh, yeah, he sure. should have saved it. This, the Lennon like... one should have been saved. I mean, and, it was definitely savable. And I guess we'll talk more the about the Amato one. It's kind of like falling over. Zeke scored one time when he was falling over. I don't know. I don't see that as taking away from it at all. I mean, it was, <laughs> thing was struck pure. On accident. He was falling. <laughs> I think that, I think that is very harsh. I think that is very harsh. <laughs> all right. That's well, an we'll, accident, we'll take that accident every time. Yeah. We'll get into it a little bit more, uh, especially about Atlanta United coming back on, on two chances worth. 0.07 xg combined they get the result though at the very least it's a result it's a point it was pretty disastrous from not start to finish but for like 80 percent of it we'll get into all of that in just a second but first up patrick we actually have a little bit of business time This is time, Joe Patrick. Got a little bit of transfer news that I'm continuing to be negative about. This is just going to be a negative show for me. I'm kind of feeling it today. Ronald, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldo is kind of. We got Ronaldo, Ronaldo. Cisnero oh. from Chivas is, is on his way per one Tomothy Scoops. Listen, guys, I, I don't quite understand what's happening with this one. I don't understand necessarily why it's happening. This is a guy who's 25. He's a forward. He's a winger. 25 has made eight starts. Not this year. Total. Ever. <laughs> in his career. Eight. Oh, in his career. Eight, eight in his career? Eight in his career. Okay. According to FBRF. Okay. Right? Yeah. We're, we're going to assume. We're going to we're gonna put some trust in that. So, Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there's been no indication of whether it's like a, a twos thing or a loan to buy yeah. or what it just is reported as a loan 
I asked around the, yesterday for some clarification. Every response I got was no idea what they're doing. So maybe they know something we don't. Maybe this is like, I don't know. Maybe they need a practice partner for Jurgen Dam uh, while he's just over there hanging out. So I don't understand any. The people you asked, did they know? Did they know whether it was toward the first team or the twos? Did Did you ask them about that? Because yeah, I mean these numbers, they, they these know. numbers would would indicate it's like a a twos thing. Um, you know, when it first came up, when I first saw it, or I was just talking to you about it, I kind of at first assumed it was them just kind of filling the U22 slot that I believe is open right now that they were kind of leaving uh, open for the uh, Luca Martinez Dupuy guy who didn't end up signing. So they kind of have this open slot that they could put somebody in maybe. But um, I mean, clearly it's not that because Ronaldo, this Ronaldo is 25 years old. So I don't know, man, this is a weird one. Very weird. Yeah. We'll see how it kind of develops. We'll learn more, I'm sure, as it goes on. And, of course, when it happens, my gut is saying it's a twos thing. Um, I think we've seen that before with twos players coming in on loan. Am I right in saying that? But normally there's like a loan to buy. There's been loans from from River. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Rocco Rios Novo, of course, was a loan. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know why what they see in this guy that, that wants them to, that pushes them to take a flyer on him. But we'll find out. We'll it, seems like the they already, it seems like they already have the the backup striker, the depth striker already kind of solidified with with Dom Dwyer and I don't know whoever you mm-hmm. have, I guess Jackson uh, Jackson Conway. Depending depending on how long Dom Dwyer is in, yeah, because sometimes that only lasts True. about four minutes. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. I saw somebody said that I was I because I just put out the player ratings this morning and I gave him a one, of course, because how can you possibly be any <laughs> higher than that after you you played for uh-huh. three minutes? And somebody was like, I think he should have gotten a three because he was like hustling to that ball while Omada was standing there. And it's like, oh boy, are we getting into um, just cheering for people running? I mean, I like <laughs> running. People definitely, players definitely need to run. Uh, uh-huh. But I don't know. Like, not. We're not definitely going to cheer for studs some people running. Into the knee. Yeah, don't don't put your studs in people's knee. But we like running. We like running. We'll talk a bit more about Andrew Gutman in a little bit. I bet. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe I might mention it. You know, I'll just say it right now. Andrew Gutman leading the team in sprints and distance covered by a considerable margin. Andrew Gutman continues to be at least fun to watch run. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. Not surprising at all. I was just thinking when I was watching the game, because I was watching it last night for the first time. I was actually watching a little bit of it live as I could, but I couldn't watch all of it. So I rewatched it last night. I just thought Andrew Gutman's just like one of those crazy people who like mm-hmm. just like lives for being as fit as possible and just like like if he wasn't playing soccer, he would be doing like the like ultra marathon, like the hundred mile mm. runs and stuff. Like just like one of those crazy, uh, crazy people. That's what he just for fun. Yeah. Just for fun. Joe Patrick, this may not be as fun. We're going to head to sports prime game time. Sports prime game time, 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 Joe Patrick, perhaps more fun than running an ultra. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Again, I, I'm not super enthusiastic about a lot of this. We can kind of discuss why as we go through. I'll go ahead and say off the top that, that XG 
ended up 2.9 for Montreal to 0.7 for Atlanta. And again, those last two chances that scored uh, 0.07 expected goals combined from them. It's not necessarily a sustainable way to continue winning soccer games. I think we can start with this. And I think this question from, from Jared kind of sums up where we're going to launch from here. It says how the flippity flip do we have no one covering two players camping the halfway line on our own corner kick? Is that something you think Pineda even addresses or is that just a bonk you're stupid and move on kind of thing? I do think overall our back line does not seem to be on the same page, growing problems or personnel. I don't know. We got to start with the corner kick. Mm-hmm. The yep. corner kick that is going to, I don't know, be ingrained in our minds for a long, long time in Atlanta United lore, <laughs> I think. It's kind of a short corner that ends up at the feet of Brooks Lennon, who was clearly meant to do something. He then passes the ball back and plays a hospital ball towards someone. I forget exactly who it is. Ronald Hernandez. Ronald Hernandez. That gets away from him. The ball kind of bounces around a little bit. A couple of Atlanta United players jump forward. Mm -hmm. Don't defend anyone. Montreal takes off. Brad Gazan gets spun around. Montreal scores. It was a disaster. It's the worst play in Atlanta United history, and I don't think it's particularly close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one was bad. Um, Bro- you know, Brooks Lennon, bad pass to Ronald Hernandez. And, uh, I got again, I got a little bit of pushback, again, in the player ratings I was doing, saying that I, I gave him a pass for the for the pass because I ended up giving Brooks Lennon a, a high rating in the game, uh, which we can talk about. But uh, it definitely a bad pass from him. It did make it to Ronald Hernandez. The pass didn't itself get cut out. And in my opinion that is more on Ronald Hernandez. To me, when you have a pass that's coming, that's that much of a hospital ball, you just got to clear it. And it looked to me like Ronald Hernandez, you know, bless him, tried to make something out of it. (laughs) He tried to actually like play the ball forward into somebody like in the middle of the field. This is when you drop your cup of coffee and you try to catch it and you just make it worse. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Um, So then, and then like at that point, as soon as Montreal kind of wins the ball there, um, you're pretty much screwed. But maybe Ronald Hernandez could have done a little bit better too, just to like drop back as soon as that pass that he tried to make got deflected and he knew it was up for grabs uh, but he did try he tried to step up and try to win the ball maybe which maybe was the better option um, than falling back just to but either way at that point you're you're really screwed and but I to Jared's point um, I, I did I it's a good call out from him to say that there wasn't two players back where there probably should be um, if you're on an offensive corner and the other team, I would have to go back and rewatch, but I assume that there were those two guys that were up by midfield line. Um, so Montreal was essentially defending with nine or eight outfield players. You should have a one player back for each of the ones that they leave forward. So just so you don't get caught in that situation. And to me, that could be as much as that's not what a normal team does. That, that is an atypical move. And so maybe when Atlanta United pr- prepares these set pieces they're just not prepared to do them with two people back um so somebody just kind of screwed up on an assignment there maybe kind of dropping back to cover and you know leaving their attack but like we've we've given the team and Gonzalo Pineda credit for for drawing up some offensive um set pieces mm-hmm. from these from these corner kicks this one obviously just came back to bite them this is my theory behind it I'm glad you mentioned that because it kind of plays into it those well worked set pieces they had last weekend and that were so well designed that they had clearly been working on and I asked him about it and you can listen to, to his response 
about who is drawing up these plays and the process behind it and everything like that on our Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. But I think they practiced that play, whatever it was supposed to be, a bunch, right? They never practiced it going wrong. And when it went wrong, I don't think they really knew how to handle it. This is my theory. This is not a fact. I just think that they were a bit surprised that Montreal did exactly what they did. And when it all broke down, it all broke down immediately because no one knew what to do mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe maybe work on messing up. which is a weird thing to say but but i think sometimes you gotta throw the wrinkles in right Um, so i highly doubt this will happen again can can i can i take that and and kind of put it on an even broader level i think that this team while you never want to see the team lose or whatever or or play poorly you know i still think we're still so early in the season this team is gonna hopefully learn various things from the way they played at times in this game i think the way that they set up uh, in this game, I will actually criticize Gonzalo Pineda a little bit for mm. the selection, um, or at least the way that some of the players were deployed in some roles in this game, um, which we can talk about maybe a little bit later on. But I just think that overall, in general, this team is going to struggle at times, and it's just about you know we'll 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 see um, later down the road here how they come through it. But no team is going to be perfect um, at this point. You just got to try to make through, and at least they're picking up some points, right? Especially at home. Yeah, totally. No, and it builds on your thesis. And I kept thinking about this the entire time when all this was going down and they ended up getting a point out of it about your idea that, you know, the, the early part of the season is really just about snatching and grabbing points as you can. And this was certainly that, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, so, it was. so maybe maybe you can't complain too much as long as you are uh, getting a point this early in the season should it probably have been three points yeah i mm-hmm. think so 100 this yeah, was a tired montreal team yeah yeah <laughs> you know? should have been three points it's, definitely for sure and it started well which is something we need to talk about i guess yeah, is, is yeah. that it started well and it looked like atlanta was on the front foot it looked like they were playing very similar to last week where they were going to vary in their deliveries and, and the ways in which they tried to break down montreal right mm-hmm. and then it's milconi bless his heart 19 years old, plays a back pass to Joseph Martinez, who is not on his team. And Joseph has a great finish, I thought. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was a very well taken goal there. For sure. For sure. Perfect start. Perfect start, right? Uh, yeah. And, and then by it the ball. On, on Kone, it was so weird. I thought he had a great game, except for that one oh, he time where he, where he yep. gifted Atlanta United <laughs> a goal. So, except for that little thing that happened, yeah. uh, he was really good. I think the way Doyle phrased it was he was the single most impactful player on the field. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Is, yeah. <laughs> which is true, right? Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah. He's been my he's probably been my favorite young player. And I've said this elsewhere, I think, but my favorite young player of the year. So it was fun to watch him do what he did. Even though he burned miles that one time and, and kind of made Atlanta look bad a few times. We'll talk about those yeah. in a second. Because after Kone's back pass went to Joseph, and then after Atlanta somehow made a warps play, Atlanta shut off completely. I don't think I've ever seen a team so wholly broken by one solitary play, mm-hmm. right? Like the the analog in my head that I think of is the butt fumble by the Jets <laughs> way back when, right? And then they lost by like 40 or yeah. whatever on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, that's, that's how bad that play was for Atlanta United. They completely shut off, especially in the midfield. Joe Lowry, Joe and Cleats, who's been on our Patreon and it does an excellent job of, of tactically analyzing things showed a video of the gap between Atlanta United's 
midfield and pretty much any other pressing line. And Atlanta United had this just massive gap in the center of the pitch. And it's weird because normally we've been complaining about that happening in attack, but it started happening in defense in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Montreal tore us apart. Okay, so this is exactly what I wanted to talk about with Gonzalo Pineda's setup and kind of the critique I have of it. Um, and I, I'm going to write a little bit about this for Dirty South Soccer this week. Um, so I think the best that we've seen Atlanta United look was in their first game against Sporting Kansas City. And in general, I would say that they've looked better when they've had those games with Amar Sadich playing as a third midfielder. And to me, the way that that team shape has looked is almost more Christmas tree-like, which is... A, three, a, a set of three midfielders playing a little bit wider where the, those wide central midfielders actually help out in the flanks. And then the the attacking you know wingers or forwards will more get congested in the middle and, and, and cause disturbances in the middle of the field when the team is out of possession. And so in this game, it was a clear change to a 4-2-3-1. It was Ozzy Alonso next to Mateus Rosetto with Marcelino Moreno on the left wing, Tyler Wolf playing as the number 10, and... Uh, Brooks Lennon on the right. And I thought that, honestly, this exposed Ozzy Alonso because it put one less midfielder right next to him. It gave us the bad version of Mateus Rosetto because then he's playing as <laughs> is this defensive midfielder who doesn't really do anything. He received the ball. I, he had the most passes, I think, of any Atlanta United player. Um, was on the ball a ton, but never made anything happen with it. Um, and then I think it puts uh, Marcelino Moreno in a position where he's not very good on the left wing. Something that, you know funny in this game i was i was at one point i just go you know what marcelino moreno is not fast he's not fa- I, I think in fifa right, he's yes. like 88 speed or something he's <laughs> he's not fast he like he would beat a guy on the wing and then that guy would catch up to him and foul him or disrupt the play in some way and it would nullify it he's slightly smaller and has good hair and that makes him fast on fifa <laughs> right, yeah exactly right <laughs> yes on FIFA, that's the criteria yeah, that's, how they, that's yeah. how they do it yeah um so so I, I think that this setup really kind of, um, you know, put all three of those players, Ozzy Alonso, Marcelino Moreno, Mateus Rosetto, in positions where they're not as good. I, I, so, so I would like to see the team kind of go back into more of the shape that they had when Amar Sadich was in the team. But I think that Marcelino Moreno is going to have to play in a little bit deeper of a role, which I don't think is all that bad for him. It, it might take some, there might be a learning curve for him a little bit stepping into that role, but I think that we've seen some things even this season that can show that he could actually really excel there. And that pass that he made to Jake Mulraney in the previous game, like that long diagonal, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly the kinds of play, the kind of play that you could get out of Marcelino Moreno. If he's playing in that position, he also had a really good game playing in a little bit of a deeper role um, against uh, DC United last year he's able to do some different types of things. He's not able to affect the game in the same exact way as he would be when he's uh, playing as more of like an attacking midfielder or higher up the pitch. But um, I think that the team will be better off if he can learn to play that role as well, because it will give Mateus or it will give Ozzy Alonso a little bit more cover on that side. And it might give uh, who knows, maybe it will give Mateus Rosetto a little bit more license to go forward when he doesn't have that attacking midfielder kind of sitting in front of him. So um, that's kind of like my, overall takeaway from the team and the tactics and I'm really interested to see what Gonzalo Pineda does after this game to see if he does go back to something like that I'm even curious to see if he will remove anyone from this starting 11 like we assume that Tyler Wolf will probably get removed from the starting 11 when certain players return to health but I wonder if he makes a move that might take a player 
out of this starting 11 for tactical reasons, not necessarily for like personnel reasons. All good points. All good points. I agree with a lot of that for sure. And I want to throw one more name into the mix as far as like people who weren't Ooh, I think set I know up in the say. best position. Do you? Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe. Set up. We'll find out. Well, I just thought Tyler Wolf also had a tough job. Okay. You know, um, who do you think I was going to say? Well, I thought we were going to talk about Alan Franco because I thought he was bad We will again. talk about Alan Franco. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. Of course we're going to talk about Alan Franco. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I kind of see the thought process behind the initial setup where you have Hosetu uh, and Wolf as kind of like the shuttling eights there in the midfield. It kind of makes sense based on the numbers. Both guys press a lot. They have mm-hmm. those pressing numbers, but, and this is something we got to talk about with this set too. Has there ever been a player that does more and accomplishes nothing? <laughs> yeah. that, like, like Mateus Isetsu, when you talk about the touches and the passes and the pressures, he's second on the team and distance covered when, wow. by, and like that blew my mind because yeah. I, I, I'm just wondering where is he running to? Where is he going? <laughs> what is he doing when he's running? <laughs> so, someone beat me to it. I think it was Akshay who said he's just training for the peach tree, low key, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and getting help. And I don't know, I don't know what he's doing out there, but he's doing a lot, and that's a fascinating dichotomy in a way to exist. Mateus is that too. Um, yeah. I'm not quite sure where exactly I was going with that, but man, he needs to do needs to do more. I don't know who you take out. But it well, it's him. funny because like, even when I was looking at the stats earlier, I think he had the most passes of any Atlanta United player. But again, there's just most passes on a team can be a good thing or can be a bad thing. Or it, it, you just want to see Mateus Rosetto create a little bit more because I think that that's what we've seen from him when he's at his best. And even earlier this season, uh, he's played in a role where he's been able to get a little bit more forward, do a little bit more. Um, and, and if they're in this shape, if Santiago Sosa is healthy, he's playing over Mateus Rosetto in that position. He's a better fit for mm-hmm. that role, um, and and he'd be a better partner, I think, for Ozzy Alonso. Um, Rosetto, he didn't win a ton of challenges. I think he only won like one of six of his duels. So it's like he's that's that's what you really lose by having him as kind of the midfield partner to Ozzy Alonso is that he's not helping win those second balls. And I really thought that that was one of the keys in the match was that Montreal was just had control of midfield. Um, for the game and that's what kind of gave them the front foot and that's why they were able to kind of control the game do what they do what they wanted to do it was montreal's game really for the vast majority of it and i think that that's why it felt like such a bad performance was because you just never felt like atlanta was the one who was imposing itself uh, on the game and on the other team it was vice versa so yeah i guess we got to talk about the fact that atlanta united players said after the game that they were kind of upset in the locker room right during halftime which you would expect and apparently there were some tensions maybe potentially flaring up is kind of what brooks lennon hinted at in his press conference and just directions to do better do the soccer better and it didn't really happen i'm gonna be totally honest i know they got the two goals but it didn't really happen montreal still controlled a ton of that game found a bunch of chances for mel Kyoto probably should have finished at least one of them you know, and it could have yeah. easily been 4-1 at that point. It's uh, not that great. I guess we can talk about the goals a little bit if we want well, to. But I, I thought were- I, I thought Atlanta did look better in the to start the second half. and But then that all got derailed by Dom Dwyer's red card. So it's like you, you made <laughs> right. some changes. You should look like the better team, I think, when you when you make three changes at halftime. You just, so you bring on fresh legs for like a third of your team. Um, 
you should be able to do a little bit more. And then that red card really kind of killed them in terms of what they wanted to do uh, in the attack. I thought when Tiago Amada came on, he, he did some good things. He put in, he had one really nice ball that was uh, um, like a cross field ball. That, that was a nice setup. I forget who, who it was too. Marcelino Moreno had another pass like that. That was absolutely ridiculous in this mm-hmm. game. It was like a scooped pass uh, with the outside of his foot that went across the field. And I forget who had a great chance. Um, to, to finish that one in the first half, he, he can just pull some. He just has some of those crazy passes uh, in his locker, as they say. But yeah, I mean, overall, Atlanta then after the Dom Dwyer red gave up some big chances there toward the end. They were they were obviously very fortunate to get those goals that gave them the point. Want to add a little more context to our chances so far this year as a whole, right? Um, just some numbers to kind of keep in mind as we go through a, a small sample size, right, as always. But thought these were interesting at the very least. Uh, we talked about runs in the box last week. Atlanta United still having around 10th and runs into the box. Um, as far as runs that challenge the back line, Atlanta United actually in fourth in that oh. category, which is highly encouraging to some extent. However, when we get to stuff like touches in zone 14 and in the box, you combine those, Atlanta United 14th in mm. the league. Uh, not not getting into those areas still enough, even if the runs are being made, right? Mm-hmm. And that's maybe not super encouraging going yeah. forward. I, d- I did see the XG on this game before I really watched it in depth. And I got to say that uh, I-, I think Atlanta created a little bit more than the XG would give them credit for, just because I think on a couple of those chances, in fact, I think maybe both of the chances that I just referenced with Almada setting one up and then Moreno setting one up, they may not have even gotten shots off in both of those instances. So sometimes you create something that's good, but you don't get a shot. So you don't actually get any any XG on the board for it. Mm-hmm. So, but that's I why mean, obviously this thing's expected threat exists. We just don't have access to it one day. <laughs> one day. Um, we talked about the attack. I guess we will talk about everything that happened in the back line. Now, it was a pretty bad game for all of the center backs i think yeah and maybe a couple of the fullbacks yeah i really the whole back line i thought had yeah. pretty much like their worst games of the season all of them even andrew gutman i thought was not very good in the game um and just wasn't as involved in the game as he has been previously um i was listening to the full-time report on 99 the game podcast the off the woodwork uh, sh- uh shout out to my my fellow colleagues, Mike Conti and Jason Longshore, who always do a great job, they were talking to Brad Guzan after the game, and um, Jason highlighted this, which was which was great, and I would recommend anybody going back and listening to it. But Brad really just kind of pointed out something very technical with his back line, which was that they were going too far ball side. Like when they were shifting across, they were shift they were over shifting to the ball side, and it was leaving the backside way exposed. Go on to uh, YouTube and go to Atlanta United versus Montreal Impact Highlights, and you will see a great tactical cam of the second goal where Atlanta United is completely to one side of the field and Ronald Hernandez is completely exposed on the other side. All it takes is one switch from Kone. Kone just kind of lifts the ball across the field, and then you have like a two-on-one break essentially at that point. Um, and so there are some technical things that that need to be ironed out in – that affect the entire defense and the whole structure of the team, really. But I think that that's where, when you look at Alan Franco, that's where, like, really good communication with a center back and his goalkeeper and the center back with his other defenders around him, that's where that really is useful. That's where that comes in handy, is to be able to communicate when those issues are happening and try to sort them out on the field 
in real time. And it was clear that Atlanta United just was not able to do that. And so that's where I want to see improvement. But it's just disappointing to see from Alan Franco just another season that is just a, a start to the year that is slow. He just even physically, he doesn't look like he's at his best. And of course, he did come off with an apparent leg injury. So maybe that has something to do with it. But it's just frustrating to not see him play up to his full potential, which I think we were seeing at the end of last year um, to start this season. Yeah, I think George Campbell's been the better between the two players so far. I would mostly agree, I think. I think so. Because he's maybe not having as many disaster moments. Exactly. Alan Franco's yeah. numbers aren't bad, right? Yeah. He's actually doing pretty well in goals added. He's actually the leading center back in goals added. Uh, he's, still, United players he's still and, been very good on the ball, Alan Franco. Exactly, exactly. But none of that matters if you have these disastrous moments right. over and over again, which he's kind of hitting towards. He's he's becoming the LAFC of, of center backs, which you don't want to do, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it's rough. It's a struggle. I am still kind of struggling with how much to actually take away from this game because, again, they, they did shut off so badly mm-hmm. after that one play, mm-hmm. which uh, – Hopefully it won't happen again. I can't imagine anything that bad happens again mm-hmm. in one fell swoop. It's maybe not encouraging they shut off, but it is encouraging, I guess, that they eventually came back and didn't completely quit. Mm-hmm. Again, my, my big takeaway is all tactical, and I think that it actually could be a really good thing for this team. Uh, on that second goal that I was just talking about, if you go back and rewatch again on that tactical cam, you will see that the two wingers are not in a position where they're able to track back and actually – help defend and that's where Atlanta's previous shape with the the three-man midfield that's in kind of a wide flat setup those wide midfielders would be able to help in areas that um, the wingers in Saturday's game were not able to Uh, and then what and then because those wingers weren't able to to help then you have to like really force your central midfielders to start moving into those wide areas and it just starts exposing you so I really hope that you know Gonzalo Pineda will I I think he will um, see what essentially what I saw uh, because it's just there on tape and I'm just kind of curious as to whether how he makes the adjustment whether that's tactically with the same shape or if he does indeed change the shape we hear all the time formation doesn't matter but it really I mean it does matter Um, doesn't always matter in certain respects but this is a classic case of, I think, players adjusting or maybe not having adjusted to this new shape that they were deployed in on Saturday. We got a whole bunch of questions about those adjustments and more. We'll get to those right after this quick break. All right. And, uh, before we get back to the show, did just want to give another shout out to our presenting sponsors of the podcast of Five Stripe Final. That's Lucid FC, Lucid Footwear and Clothing located in Buckhead. They are open by appointment and walk-in. They're located at 3209 Paces Ferry Place, right behind the Whole Foods there in Buckhead. They are local. Uh, Chet and Betts to Heart, the owners, I've met them. They hooked me up with uh, a bunch of uh, Lucid FC gear a couple years ago, which I still wear to this day. Um, they hooked me up with plenty of hats because they know I'm a hat guy. Uh, and they even gave me a little bit of like a, you know, how, how to dress myself. I'm, I'm being told how to dress myself as an adult. But that's how it is when you don't have any sort of style. So thanks to those guys for doing that for me. And they can do it for you as well if you go on in. I'm sure they'd be willing to help you out and uh, set you up with some of their stuff, which is really cool. You can check it out on lucidfc.us as their website. And if you're there, if you're picking up clothes, um, you can use DSS all season long for your checkout code, and you get free shipping if you use DSS as your promo code. Um, They've got new socks available online, Knitted in America, available in six new colors that they've never had before, so definitely worth checking those out while you're there, lucidfc.us. Free shipping? That's right. 
You know who else shipped a lot of things for free this weekend, Joe Patrick? Who's the that? Atlanta United Defense. Well done. Well Thank done. you. Well Thank done. you. That's just. Thank you. I'm bowing. No one can not, see me. But you don't. I'm that doesn't happen overnight, folks. <laughs> a segue like that. That is. I've been grinding and and audio years tape of experience and and putting in the hard work. Real gym rat. Um, listen, <laughs> Kirk Castle asked this about another team that ships a whole lot of goals. He says, "Are we are we San Jose East now?" Didn't ask that like seriously or anything like that, but it's a, it's a fair point because <laughs> me and Joe have talked about wanting a little more excitement in our lives. Uh, we were hoping for a little more back and forth in that deal, right? Mm-hmm. To be a little yeah. more San Jose. This was not that. This was something much, much more bleak, which, to be fair, has been San Jose this year. Uh, hopefully it won't happen again, right? But it does kind of frame where my head is at on this, which is that it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. I would actually, you know, I would, I would say that, um, obviously, Kurt's joking about this, but, like, this is just, to me, it's a non-ideal team setup coupled with, I, you know what I thought was interesting after the game? Again, I was just kind of catching up on all this on, after the fact, but Gonzalo Pineda saying that the team felt arrogant. Was that a quote that he used? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Kind of, I wouldn't say that that's maybe a, you know, calling out, but it is kind of, maybe it is kind of calling out your team for like, you know, I think being it's some about as, as negative, negative as I've heard him just yeah. about ever. Yeah. Right. Cause we're Which so used to Gonzalo always picking these guys up, you know, trying to get the, mm-hmm. trying to get the attitude, the mood high, all that. Cause of obviously what? the circumstance when he came in. Which is totally fine because uh, generally with him, the more negative things are, the more positive he tries to be, I think to, to overcorrect mm, Absolutely. It, yes. You know, which right. is totally fine. And a way that, the media coach relationship can be symbiotic, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm totally cool with that, and I get it. I think some people were kind of bristling at the, the positivity, mm-hmm. I think. One of them being, I think, no, I'm not going to name them. But, it, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that's fine. And I think maybe maybe has somewhat of a point. It, it should at least catch their attention, right? That they can't just get a goal and say, okay, now we're fine. Yeah, yeah. Because nothing can go wrong, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's a couple times now that it's happened where they get a goal and it seems like they kind of shut off. Like once they get the goal, things are going to be easy for them. Um, and it's not, it ain't that way. That's not how it works. So yeah, I thought it was actually kind of good that he said that. It's a very like 20 something mentality. Like, Oh, I graduated. I'm on the, the easy path now. Right. Yeah. Like everything's going to get so much better. I've done everything I need to do. No, not true. Start it slipping. You know, it's kind of interesting what you said, too, about, like, the way he reacts with media. I've always felt like Brian Snicker does this with the Braves, where it's like, after they lose, that's usually when he'll be more, like, joking around and chipper in his attitude with the media after the game, unless it's, like, for some other reason. Um, But, and and when they win, that's when he's just, like, kind of really bored-sounding, blah, 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 because I think it kind of helps the ups and downs, and... I think it's just it maybe some awareness of how to deal with media uh, and how that interplays with the the team's mentality. We'll look at this from Rubber Anchor who asks, is this a draw that feels like a win or a draw that feels like a loss? Important question here, Joe Patrick. Make the make the determination. Uh, it's a draw that feels like a mm, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I think it's a draw that feels like a loss. I think so too. I think I'm going to agree with that. For sure. It fe- like we're talking about this game 100% like a loss. Right. Which yeah, makes exactly. it all the better that you got the draw. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think I agree. I think the biggest win, well, the biggest win of the weekend was for Moa Do. I don't know if you saw Joe Patrick, but Tiffany Haddish came over and just basically like interrupted an entire broadcast just to say that Moa Do was sexy. And I appreciated that. <laughs> 
I appreciated that a lot. Uh, it was the crowd was excellent at the very least. That's about as excited as I've seen Mercedes-Benz Stadium in a real long time, hmm. which totally understandable. I appreciated mm-hmm. that experience. I just kind of sat and, and took it all in at the very end. That was nice. And then I got back to being grumpy. So it, at least there was that. In that moment, it felt like a win. After that moment, it feels like a loss. Christian asks, the last three games, it seems that we start well, but by the 30th minute or so, the other team figures us out, quotation marks. Is this a situation of our team not maintaining intensity or are our tactics that easy to adjust to? How can Pineda fix this? This is a really good question and seems up your alley far more. Joe Patrick. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would say that, yeah, by maybe by the 30th minute, like in this game, it was by like the 15th minute that things had already started going the other way. Um, I, I think it, it is definitely part that they're just not maintaining their, their intensity. I think it's both. I mean, I think that it's both. It's, it's the intensity, but it's also in this game, I think particularly it was a tactical adjustment that the team was trying to make coming into this game that they just didn't make well. And maybe, maybe they don't need to change the team shape. Maybe more training in this shape can, uh, you know, iron out some of these wrinkles that we've seen, but um, again, time's going to tell. I don't like how can Pineda fix this? I don't think he necessarily can fix anything in terms of the mentality. I think that that comes down to players. I think that comes down to leadership on the field. Um, and you know, I don't know, maybe he can do a little bit, but I don't have any like clear ideas as to like what he can do to, to maintain this stuff. I don't know. What do you think of the idea that, this is a mentality boost for the team because they're probably not going to care too much about the XG. They're just going to care that they came back and, and got a draw. Do you buy into that, that this is a way for the team to, to suddenly have more belief in itself? Because no. I do not. <laughs> I, I do not. Um, <laughs> the next time this team plays a game will be in April, uh, I believe, because they, yeah. they will have the international break. So that will be a long ways away. They will have forgotten most of the <laughs> this game. I mean, they'll process it on film and everything. But, um, yeah, I'm not a big believer in the kind of momentum stuff. It's always a very, very journalism-y narrative of, like, can this be a – can this lead you on to something? I've heard that question asked in regards to the Hawks so many times this year and they just <laughs> and lose still the like next game below 500 it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's funny how the players uh <laughs> react to those kinds of questions but yeah I mean I don't think so I don't think there's any kind of momentum other than in the standings but um yeah well speaking really. of the standings unfortunately Ralph. I wish I had a more optimistic answer for that question but that's your pal Ralph, speaking of standings, Ralph asks, we are 11.7% of the way through the 2022 MLS season. Have expectations as as to where we will finish in the table changed? Have they changed? Why or why not? Is this question written in the same voice that College Board uses to compose advanced placement exams? (laughs) I'm going to say yes to that. Had a lot of flashbacks (laughs) reading it in that voice just now. Uh, have the expectations changed? No, I don't think so. My expectations haven't. As far as like what I what, what I demand out of this team from a, a personal sense, right, is that they host a home playoff game. I think that's still very much the bar that needs to be cleared and can be cleared, right? You look around the rest of the East, it's not like most teams are, are blowing other teams away. Even the CCL teams that are doing well, like NYCFC, not mm-hmm. you, New England. How Screw you, New England. <laughs> not you, New England. They're struggling in the table a little yep. bit, right? You know, the only team that's really looked 
like they're going to consistently get points and kind of run away with this. It seems like it's Philadelphia, right? And everyone else seems to be just kind of a mid-pack kind of team at this point. So it's not undoable, right? Like, and still, Andy Knight has seven points throughout all this. Yeah. They can, they can host on playoff game. That's still right. my expectation. I mean, seven points. Yeah, seven points is probably what I would have expected through four games here. I mean, you've got home versus Sporting Kansas City, on the road against Colorado, and then home against Charlotte and Montreal. I think it's very reasonable that with that, you would you could have expected, especially given the injuries that this team was facing, you would have you could have expected a loss on the road, which happened, and then to win two of the three home games and draw the other one. I think that that's very much kind of in line with the expectation that I had. Maybe, eh, yeah, maybe not beating it, but um, very much in line with the expectation. I think sets the team up very well for you know them to continue to improve and do what they want to do, which is like you said. Um, have those home playoff games. I mean, I know if you ask the players, they're going to say they want to win the Sporter Shield, and maybe they feel like they're behind in that respect. But uh, there's still so much of the season that's yet to be played. I mean, it's still so early. Mm. Um, you know, I commented th- with this, and I was kind of talking on Twitter with uh, Felipe and Ryan Katniss, who we've had on the show, about like some takeaways that they were having after Gonzalo Pineda's last press conference after the win over Charlotte and you know, I guess like what I was saying in, in all that was just that it, it's still so early in the season. I think it's very hard to take away anything like hard and fast about what this team is kind of at its core. Um, you know, maybe we, we'll we'll continue to find out more, but it's just still so damn early. You're just at the point where you're trying to trying to navigate through this portion of the season, picking up as many points as you possibly can. And then by the end of the season, hopefully that's when you're starting to really dominate games, take over games. Um, You know, very much like Atlanta United did in 2018, where in 2018, the year that they won MLS cup, they kind of, again, stuttered to start the season, started it with a bad home or bad loss on the road against Houston dynamo. You know, Mm -hmm. there's yeah, every team goes through those kinds of phases of the season. You, but by, by the end of that year, by the time they were, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through that year, that's when they were just really dominating everybody who came to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, and hopefully that's what we can start to see as the season progresses. Yeah, and I think that Gonzalo Pineda, he of the Brian Smetzer coaching tree, is going to truly understand that in, yeah, a, in a big way. right. right? No one would know more and than again, him, yeah. Not like it's going bad either. 1.75 points per game right now for Atlanta United over the course of the season. That puts you around 59, 60 points. That would have put you in the top three in the Western Conference last year. Yep. Right? You know, yep. they, that's an easy home playoff game if they just keep that pace. And they've done it very right. shorthanded. Again, pretty easy exactly. week, easy competition yeah. so far, but still. That's my biggest thing, too, right? It's hard to do any kind of real assessment of how good this team yep. is without Louise. Yeah. Because Louise is the best player on the team. Yeah. Yeah. At this point. So yeah. there you go. There you go. My expectations are still relatively high, even as, as pessimistic. I'm still I'm, so I'm excited being... to see what this team looks like with with him in it. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Um, B. Mildenhall asked what happened in the midfield. Was it just Marcy not covering like Sadich? This felt like a 2020 game where we didn't there create a ton of chances, but individual excellence earned us a point. Joe, I think you kind of hit on that a lot already. Yeah. I mean, Marcy was playing as a winger straight up, which is just not – we saw that last year. It wasn't the role for him. But Gonzalo Pineda didn't play him in that role, so maybe he wouldn't have have experienced that. He wouldn't have experienced the Marcelino Moreno winger <laughs> experience firsthand uh-huh. until like yesterday. Yeah. So it's all part of the it's a deceiving. Process. It's a deceiving yeah. thing because you think he's you know he's got so much talent, he should be able to do it. Yeah, great. He's got yeah. the hair for it. Does he have the eyebrow <laughs> slashes? He might. He might have no, some no, no, no. I don't think no. so. I don't think so. Can't, can't be elite until then, but we'll work on it. Yeah, we'll work on it. 
Uh, speaking of elite, Respo91 asking, has not given into the narrative that Joseph is will, slash will never be the same player again, especially when it's quite literally the only remaining field player from his glory days uh, of 2017-2019. After an understandably long runway back to fitness, how much of his difference in chances is down to Joseph himself versus the teammates and play styles around him? And then he goes on to say that he likes what we've seen from him so far this year. And do we forget that he was not a primary striker before Tata? Uh, and may have a deeper bag of skills. I think we've hit on this pretty consistently that Joseph is, is decent in build-up play and does a lot of things well that aren't necessarily scoring goals, at least well enough, not like spectacularly, mm -hmm. right? But at least mm -hmm. well enough. Um, how much was it down to Joseph versus his teammates? I'm not really sure. I think it can do it, be both things. Two things can, can be true, right? But yeah. Joseph has looked good for the most part. Yeah, definitely. He's had a really good start to the season. One of his better starts to the season um, since uh, of his Atlanta United career. Uh, I think to Russ point, I think sometimes when you don't have the players around you as the striker, then you're not getting service. So your natural tendency is always going to want to be to come toward the ball, try to get involved, at least just, you know, get some touches to have yourself feel like you're involved. Um, and sometimes Joseph can actually make a, a substantial improvement to the team's chance creation by, mm -hmm doing some of those things when he drops uh, in beneath. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing when we talk about his evolution to what he's becoming um, or what he has become, which is a much more well-rounded striker than he was in 2017, 2018, even though that was, you know, a year where he scored an incredible amount of goals set. I think set the record at the time um, MLS goals in a season. Uh, yeah, of course he did. Um, won the golden boot, all that stuff, you know, but I, I he was, he was very good at a sport specific thing within Tata Martino's system, um, executing it very well. But under Frank DeBoer, Frank asked him to do a lot more different things, which that was kind of his first. And he got to a really slow start to the season that year because I think he was just not comfortable for him or his teammates trying to involve him in that way. But I think that over time, uh, he's grown more into that role. And, uh, and it doesn't mean we'll never see him again ever make a run to the back post and get on the end of a cross or anything like that. But I think that he just has so much more to his game now. It's how do you, how do you, yeah, how, how do you maximize that out of Joseph? And I think that also when you look at the makeup of the squad, again, you talk about Luis Araujo, guys like Tiago Amada, guys that will run beyond him. I mean, that gives defenses so much more to think about. Um, it's only going to improve everybody. Philip asks, you worried about Miles? We can answer this kind of quick. You worried about Miles? Nope. Me neither. Not, not really. really. He had been fantastic, but. I'm not worried. He might be going through a slump worried. right now, but yeah, yeah I'm not his, worried. His, his lows are higher than, than most highs. I guess I guess the only months. thing I might be worried about with Miles is just his overall workload that he's had. Um, going back to the start of last year, didn't really have like a, you know, his off season was, he had some national team stuff in there, had national team stuff um, during preseason training camp. So um He's just had a lot of that involvement. Yeah. Just played a ton of soccer over the last year, so that would be. They're, they're monitoring concern. it, right? Yeah. I remember the are. one time Gonzalo came back and like listed all the stats about how many miles he had gone. Yeah, he had his like sky that. miles I mean, count pulled exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, they're keeping track of it. Miles would be fine even after potentially a trip to the Aztec. I don't think he's going to play, but you know, we'll see. I hope he doesn't. I hope right. I would love it if Miles <laughs> Robinson actually does not play <laughs> in his international break, but I would not see we'll that see. as a bad thing. We'll see. Uh, John Leach asks, uh, should George Campbell start over Alan Franco after the international break? We talked about Alan a little bit. We talked about George's ability on the ball at times. George hasn't been that spectacular defensively, I don't think. 
I think both, I think pretty much all the center backs are struggling a little bit right now, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. None of them are perfect. Um, but I think if this happens, I think that at first we'll see it down to, they will have Alan Franco. They'll say like, it's because of an injury. Um, which he apparently does. I mean, I've never. I'm sure he has an injury that forced him off at halftime of that game. So, but it really does mean that he may not be at 100, percent and that may be a reason, a legitimate reason why you would play George Campbell ahead of him. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to playing George Campbell ahead of Alan Franco if George Campbell, if you feel like he's just in better form as the better player in a given moment. No one yeah. should. Um, but I'm still skeptical, or I, I don't think that. George Campbell is just better than Alan Franco in a vacuum. Uh, I just think that we just are seeing a, a slow start from Alan Franco and I think he'll grow into it and prove his worth and, and well prove that he's Maybe not should. Worth, yeah, right? yeah. I don't know if that's even possible for <laughs> a center back really, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that by the, by the time things kind of shake out, it will be a Robinson Franco pairing still at the back. See Black ask, is there an explanation for starting Wolf at the 10? He seemed lost. His body language is bad. It looked like a lot of the other players were frustrated with him. I didn't think he was very good. I thought he was more effective in the first few games as on the wing, mm-hmm. uh, especially with his pressing and his just ability to get in good spaces, which he didn't necessarily do a ton with, even when he's in those spaces. He's not supposed to be a starter. He's young. He's just not supposed to be a starter in general, right? Um, he, he's doing what he can in a tough situation. Clearly, that could be better, but you know, I think we talked about it. I think we'd rather see maybe Tiago or, or, or Marcy there in that role in coordinating things. Yeah, and especially because he's got a little bit more speed to him than Moreno, I would have rather have seen mm-hmm. Wolf on the wing where he could use that speed a little bit more. And I've liked the way he's rotated inside when he has played on the wing. So I, yeah, I agree with you. I've liked him more on the wing. Do you remember uh, after the first friendly that they played when we were there, just watching it at the training ground, how he said that he was like initially supposed to play the 10. And I think may have even said like, that's kind of like where he prefers to play, but was then shifted out to the left on short notice when Moreno wasn't going to be able to play. Um, so it does seem just based off of that, it seems like they see him naturally as more of a 10 than a winger though. He's just mm-hmm. been playing as a winger to early in the season to, you know, do a job. But it seems to me like I like him more as a winger than a 10, but yeah. I still am, have been like kind of pleasantly encouraged by his performance. He just, he just doesn't have, is not showing the final ball, like kind of that end product and the vision to, to kind of see these things. Um, but yeah. I think technically like, it doesn't always come off, but I don't know. I, for a player as young as him, maybe my expectations were low. But for like a 19-year-old coming in and playing in the attack, I thought he's. I think he's been all right. I mean, obviously yeah. he's not a best 11 player on this team. but Right. No, he, he's steady. He's just kind of missing that spark. I don't know quite how he finds that, whether that's just unlocking some creativity, some explosiveness. I don't know where it is. I don't know where maybe it's, it's going to come from. It's hard for me uh, to see this actually happening, but maybe like if you like go down to the twos and like – I don't know if that would actually give you some more experience, like getting involvement with the ball at your feet, you know, in chance creating areas. Um, Tyler Wolf, come play pickup at Sons of Pitches. You get like two hours (laughs) and a ton of touches. Come on us. Come on. Come on, Tyler. I need to invite Jeff out there. I want to do it one time. Oh, yeah. That'd be funny. That'd be funny. We could record it. We can make content out of it. Well, Kurt Castle asks this. Joe Patrick says we're heading into an international break on the heels of one of the most disjointed team performances. In recent memory, how much of an impact will that have on the team as a whole? Who do you think will individually benefit the most from extra training time? So a couple of different questions there. How much of an impact will that have on a team as a whole? I, I think you forget about it. I think you have goldfish brain and you kind of move on 
I think of all of it, right? Like even maybe you'd like try to tell yourself that like later in the year, you'll have a, a moment to come back and you guys yeah. know you can do it and you believe in yourselves, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> meaningless. Um, as far as it go, the rest of it goes, I think you just push it down and don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. For the individual, I would say Tiago Almada pretty easily benefits from the most training time. Um, maybe Alan Franco, because this defense really does need sorting out. Um, if he can train, I don't know that he is how healthy he actually is right now. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe some of the defense could use some work too, specifically on the training ground. If not Almada, maybe... It'd like like Santi, Santi will get healthy. Right, I was gonna say something like just like it. the central yeah. midfielders in general. Uh, it's hard to single one of them out specifically, but yeah, I think that's what you're looking at for to improve going into the next game. So Patrick, it's hard to single one of them out, but we're singling you out right now for rapid fire rubber anchor. Ask. I didn't know that the offside rule only applies in the attacking half. Why don't yep. runs like Montreal's happen more? Often, because most teams are better that at not letting <laughs> yeah. them do that. Right. Know that rule. I love when that happens because it's one of those rules that, like, freaks people out when, mm-hmm. when you don't, like, haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Because people are just running way ahead of everybody. You're going to go, wait, no, 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 no. Everything in my body tells me that they're supposed to be offside. That's not the case. Not the case. Uh, mm-hmm. Polingley asked Joe, how was your sabbatical? Oh, was your sabbatical? It, was, it was great. So refreshing. I'm I, A little bit of brain fog still um, when you just haven't worked, done anything using your mm-hmm. brain much in four days. But man, uh, very much needed now ready for the ready for the grind. Love it. Love it. Pierce asked, if Soso's fit, whose lineup spot is he taking? It's a good question. I think Hosetu because Almada and Marcy will also be fit. I definitely agree. Mateus was that time. All right. Uh, Ralph asks, in light of the performance in Bahrain, have you considered it resigning as a McLaren fan? If so, are you interested in following the little mid-table team called Mercedes? My first foray into F1 did not go well. My team, Who's your team? finished practically last. McLaren, McLaren is what they're asking here. They were practically last. Perhaps their worst performance in like years, I think, is what I understand <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of yeah. this. But at least their engines didn't shut off uh, in your face, Red Bull. Right. I'm sticking with them though. Sticking with them. Uh, I love my goofy adult driving sons and their fancy race cars. <laughs> Sporting 22 J asks, should Brooks have taken that final free pick? I wonder what Brooks, Andrew, Tiago, and whoever else were saying to ultimately decide it was going to be Brooks. Uh, I was kind of surprised Brooks took it. He doesn't usually do that in training. Yeah. We watched them kind of take a whole bunch of free kicks, uh, the practice before the game. And Brooks was not in that group. Gonzalo was in that group. Thought Gonzalo could have taken it. Gonzalo has a hell of a left foot. I'm coming to find out. Uh, but they just said I, they talked about I it. Even, I don't know how they communicated and decided. I don't even recall Brooks taking many free kicks in games. Yeah. He put I'm it sure he's happened before, but yeah. He put it on frame, and that's all that matters. That's why you test and the keeper. was rapid fire. Joe Patrick, we passed this test today, I think. I think we did a good job discussing whatever the hell all that was. Kind of a mess. I'll Anything give us a 5.5 rating. I'll give us a 5.5. Yeah. Better average than, than Atlanta United on the yeah. field on Saturday, I would say. So. As long as we keep outperforming them, I think we'll be all right. Anything else we want to add before we get out of here? No, let's get our orange slices. Uh, we'll have some more content coming up for everybody uh, over the on the Patreon over the next couple weeks until the next game. Got a little bit of a break, so got some good stuff coming. All right, cool, cool. Bye, y'all.